On this second Sunday of Lent, we continue our series on the gift of forgiveness, which will include what it means to forgive each other, what it means to forgive ourselves. But this first two weeks, we, we think about God's forgiveness of us. And so the reading this morning is from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. For he knows how we were made. He remembers that we are dust. As for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, obedient to his spoken word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers that do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is a story you might know because it's about the most famous or infamous sermon in all of U.S. history which is a really low bar, (laughs) because sermons don't make headlines. I mean, who knows about sermons? But this one, it made headlines. In fact, it's anthologized in some collections of American literature. It's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It was preached by Jonathan Edwards in 1741 during what historians call the First Great Awakening. Throughout the colonies, Something was happening in churches. God was moving. The Spirit was moving. People were being convicted of their sins, and they were repenting, and it was happening big scale. Well, Edwards preached the sermon in his church on a Sunday, and there's nothing recorded about that. But there was a a church in Enfield, Connecticut, whose pastor said, that's not happening here. Would you come and preach? And so he came with his sermon Sinners in the hands of an angry God. As you might be able to guess from the title, it's a little bit of hellfire and damnation. But in a very sophisticated way, it's very articulate and literate and very thought out. He tries to reach people's souls through their minds. In the most graphic image in the sermon, he says, God holds us over a fire like you would a loathsome spider. (laughs) 
And if it weren't for God's mercy, he could drop you in the flames where you would burn forever. Now the story goes, I don't know how much of this is fact or fiction, that he had poor eyesight and was reading the sermon and with no inflection, but a storm was raging and the people moaned and groaned, confessing their sins. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. The sermon, which you can read online, was based on a story in the book of Exodus. And so is the psalm that we read. Both that sermon and this text came from a story in Exodus, which is the most famous or infamous in all of Israel's history. You probably know this story. God, using Moses, has led them out of the land of Egypt. The Israelites have escaped, and this is the high watermark in all of Israel's history. Nothing comes close. And then it goes into the lowest mark. Because they're in the wilderness, and they kind of look around, and they're wondering, does God have a plan? Does Moses have a plan? And it's about that time Moses goes up Mount Sinai to get the two tablets that we call the Ten Commandments. And while, they're, while he's up there, they turn to Aaron, Moses' right-hand man, and say, here's our gold jewelry. We want you to make a god for us in the shape of a calf that we can worship. And the irony here is just palpable. Moses is getting the commandments, one of which is not to have idols, while they're making an idol. And so then what happens next is that God and Moses have a little conversation. They're kind of looking down on the scene, so to speak. And what hangs in the balance is God's response. God is very angry. And Moses keeps appealing to God's compassion. And it's not really clear which way it's going to go. And then the most gorgeous verse, God says to Moses, The Lord is a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Whew, that's how it comes out. It will be sinners in the hands of a loving God. This will be good news, which is why the psalmist, reflecting on that story, highlights the forgiveness, which starts with this notion of, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not any of God's benefits, which is a kind of unfortunate translation because, well, most of us think 401k or health and dental, you know, that kind of stuff. But it's a brilliant play on words. The Hebrew word used here for benefits was normally used of negative consequences. And so in this really great kind of twist, you want to know what your sins have gotten you? Let me just tell you, forgiveness. God forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, which as Carla pointed out last week, is this kind of return to wholeness. And then it quotes that line, God will be gracious and merciful. And then my favorite image, there's so many, God will remove our sins from us as far as east is from the west. Now, if you're thinking New York to L.A., think again. They thought the earth was flat. East from west is inconceivable. It just goes on. That's how far removed our sins will be. Now, to be clear, 
throughout the Bible, there are passages where it will portray God as harsh judge and passages that will portray God as loving and compassionate. And the reason is quite simple. Because over a thousand years, different writers wrestled with who is this God? And some of them favored that image of harsh judge and others this compassionate, loving God, just like some people do today. I read just this week one of those midrash that I've told you about before. A midrash is what rabbis do. They, they make up these creative stories to help you understand the stories in the Bible. In this one, God's creating the earth. It's going to be a place of beauty and splendor, and it's going to be wonderful. And then God kind of looks down the road and says, oh, and those humans are going to mess it up. So God's like, well, maybe I don't create it. If I create it, I'm going to have to punish them. I'm going to have to destroy it. And then God comes up with a plan. I know what I'll do. I'll just forgive all the sins ahead of time. That's what the rabbis said. Well, it turns out, if not at creation, in the Exodus, yes. God, when weighing the choices, says, I'm going to be compassionate. That's who I will be. What breaks my heart is the people whose religious formation in churches was exclusively this harsh judge. People who heard nothing but hellfire and damnation. I taught years ago with a colleague at the seminary who loved to collect cartoons out of the New Yorker, and he would bring them, especially when they were religious. And I will never forget, it's been 20-something years, he came into the faculty break room and he said, you got to check this one out. It's got these two guys nicely dressed, they have a Bible under their arms, and they're knocking on doors. And at this particular house, the man has come to the door, and the caption reads, would it be okay if we came in and read the Bible to you to make you feel like dirt? Which is funny, but it's not, is it? Because that's how some people have been formed. I used to give a little quiz to my students, not, not the kind over the readings they were supposed to have done. I mean, just a little personal quiz. Two questions. I, I may have told you this before. First one, do you think God loves you? Well, they're in seminary. What are they going to say? Yeah, yeah, of course, God loves us. Second question. Do you think God likes you? And you could see it. Just, just a little hesitation, a little wincing. Because what they really meant was, yeah, God loves me, but in a sort of I'm putting up with you, you better you know, sit up and fly right kind of way. They couldn't, they couldn't fathom that God really, really loves them and forgives them. If I were giving a quiz on the psalm, this would be the first question I ask, and it's a trick question, kind of. To whom is the psalm addressed? And, of course, most people are going to say, well, the Lord. It says it right there, bless the Lord. But keep reading. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The psalmist is writing and talking to himself, to his soul and everything in him. There was this literary device in the ancient world dialogue between a man and his soul. It was just self-talk. That's what we call it. He's talking to himself. Now, I'm not proud of this, but when I'm playing golf sometimes and I hit a bad shot or make a bad decision, I talk to myself. Most of the time in my head, sometimes out loud, and it's not very, it's not very uh, uplifting. I say stuff like, you idiot, 
What were you thinking? That was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. What are you doing? Now, that's not good for my psyche. It's certainly not good for my golf game. But some of us are playing tapes much more serious. We are repeating that list of things that haunt us. Those sins from the past, the ones that can wake us up in the middle of the night, that can send shivers down our spine, and we are carrying it. And let's face it, if we put it in a scale, the sins of the world, they are so heavy. But if you put grace on this side, it is not a contest. If you have to do self-talk, just keep reminding yourself that God forgives. It's who God is. Later in the psalm, it says, God is like a, a father who has compassion on his kids. And that, that could be very meaningful to some of you. And to others, maybe not so much. Maybe you had one of those harsh dads and, and mom was the tender one. Well, there's a great play on words here because it says like a father who has compassion, but the Hebrew word compassion is related to the womb. It's the image of God being like a nurturing mother which reminds me of a story you just, you, you got to know this story. Miroslav Volf, some of you know the name. He preached here several years ago. Last year, he and David Brooks led a virtual conversation with us. He teaches at Yale, and he tells this story about when they adopted their son. Miroslav grew up in the former Yugoslavia, and so he knows about ethnic cleansing and forgiveness on a incredible scale, but in his book, Free of Charge, he brings it down to a very basic level. So he talks about adopting their son and how it happened. The woman who would eventually give up the boy had a 10-year-old girl already, and she was a single mom, and there just wasn't any way she could do it. And she'd met with them, and everything was going along fine, and she called when she went into labor and said, come tomorrow. And that night, they didn't sleep a wink. I mean, what if it fell through? And what were they going to name him? I mean, all of a sudden, they had a boy. They were going to name him. So the next morning, 10 o'clock, they're driving to the hospital. They stop at a donut shop to get a bite to eat, fuel up on some caffeine. And then sort of absentmindedly, he pulls out of the donut shop on a one-way street going the wrong way. The cop pulls him over just that quick. Well, he doesn't know the custom. He gets out of the car. Mr. Officer, Mr. Officer, I am so sorry, but you, you, you can't believe we've had the most... Get back in the car. But Mr. Officer, we've had great news. Get back in the car. He didn't want to hear any stories. He had on dark sunglasses, and he wrote out a ticket, and like Javert and Les Mis, justice was served. So they shook it off drove to the hospital, sat with the mother, 30 minutes or so, just, and yeah, it was still on. So she asked him to bring in the baby, and I can't imagine, but with one last time, she held him in her arms, and with tears, she handed him over. And Miroslav writes, in the span of one hour, I got a ticket from a gruff cop and a tender child from a loving mother. One of those is an image of God. 